0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. And Chris, let's jump right back into the mailbag with Michael Kekka, Gaston and confused, who asks, With the Mets GM throwing chairs at Mickey Calloway, does Brody Van Wagenen replace La Parca as chairman of the board? So, Chris, I'm not going to make you answer this one because this is a wrestling question. <laughs> Essentially, the joke here is that La Parca was a luchador and there was a period of time in WCW where he called himself the chairman of the board and he would come out with a chair and it became a pretty funny gimmick. I think that at this point, Mickey Calloway and Brody Van Wagenen have got to start thinking about alternative lines of work. I think Mickey Calloway is probably going to wind up as an assistant coach somewhere and Brody will go back to being an agent, I would think, sometime within the next couple of years because... I'm going to say that that level of insanity is not going to be able to sustain itself, even on a team like the Mets. Next question comes in from Ian Bartholomew. He says, what were some of the league's other starting quarterbacks doing when they were the same age Sam will be on opening day this year? I would imagine that a lot of these guys were either getting ready for their rookie year or, in most cases, their senior campaign in college because 22 years old, there are a lot of guys that aren't even out of school yet.
1: Yeah, most of them were definitely in college. There, there's a couple who were getting ready for their rookie year, but most of them were definitely in college. He's got a, a little bit of a head start there, uh, age wise on people. So most of them were still in college getting ready, you know, taking part in their spring practices, getting ready for the, the opening week of the college season, which is a little bit closer to that opening week of the NFL season. So they're, they're sitting there right now, you know last like night, Friday uh, after a week worth practices, maybe doing a little too much partying a lot of them but you know they're they're living it up at college that's for sure the vast majority of them anyway.
0: Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, with being a Knicks fan and seeing how the NBA lottery worked this year, especially with Zion being the prize, do you think more teams would have tanked if the NBA didn't switch it up? And do you think in two years when Trevor Lawrence comes into the league, some teams will try to tank? What are your thoughts on the NFL maybe switching to a lottery system for the draft? It would be just for non-playoff teams, and they could do lottery primetime at the combine. would generate lots more exposure for the NFL Would you two be fans of it? Then you would eliminate the whole tank for Trevor situation. So I do think that they're going to be teams that aren't going to necessarily tank for Trevor per se, but they're going to kind of make it known that winning is not their number one priority that year. I think the prime example of this would be the Jets in 2017. This year could be the Miami Dolphins, although that trade for Josh Rosen may have changed things a little bit. I think that the lottery system... On paper it makes sense because it avoids tanking But it's really not going to avoid tanking These teams that are going to want Trevor Lawrence desperately Are still going to want the highest percentage possible So they'll still set it up in a way like the 2017 Jets did Or the 2019 Miami Dolphins Where yeah they're not tanking But wink wink they're not trying that hard to win So I'm not really a big fan of the lottery system I would like it to stay the way it is I just think that the lottery system kind of gets a little too complicated and allows for too many weird scenarios. And I get that that plays in terms of intrigue and being able to do a lottery on TV, but I kind of like things the way they are now.
1: I'm going to start with the Lawrence part of this, and I'm going to say that i would just clarify this beforehand. When I say tanking, the players and the coaches aren't going to tank. right? The players and coaches never tank because they need to keep putting out good tape so they can get another to the next contract. But there's going to be multiple teams going to that season saying, we're not going to be any good this year, mm-hmm. and we're going to be as bad as possible because we're going after Trevor Lawrence. There's, there's going to be multiple teams that are going after Trevor Lawrence like that. Um, as far as uh, implementing a lottery a tour for the NFL draft, I am, I agree with everything you said. I am also somebody who is team abolish the draft in general. Just get rid of it. Just just get rid of it. Just go. Just open it up for free agency for all the rookies coming in. I am uh, absolutely on board there. So I I don't want the lottery. Everything you just said and the lottery, you get a team that uh, you know won seven to nine games, missed the playoffs, but then they can get the first pick. That doesn't that. Uh, goes against everything that you have the draft for it doesn't make sense but again i'm get i am team abolish the draft from the get-go just open it up to free agency and i know people i love the draft you know how much i love the draft i've talked how much i talk about it but having a straight up open free agency out of college for these guys would be just as much fun i promise you
0: I'm not sure I would like that only because I think it would make the cap situation super complicated and it would also invite a situation. I think where a lot of these players would all just team up and play together. It could be a dangerous scenario. It might end up working itself out and it's possible that this is just what I'm used to. And so that's why I want it to stay that way. But I don't know. I just think it could be a little too chaotic.
1: Yeah. And it would feel that way for sure. But again, Think about what the draft is and how chaotic that really is, too. It's just we're used to that, just like you just said. Um, It it would feel that way at first, but we would adjust. and, man, would it be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, there's only so much that they can do with – there's only so many players that could go and team up together because you're still working under a salary cap and you're going to still have other people on the roster – and then also it's different than basketball because, uh, you know, it's such a more of a projection for guys. And unless we're talking about running back, you're drafting a guy not for what he's going to do that year, but what he's going to do three to five years down the road. So It's harder to, it'll be harder to really try to focus on building a, a super team with rookies. You know, that's, that's not going to be so well, but I, it would, Deb, I, I, completely understand the feeling that it'd be crazy and chaotic and how could it possibly be done but i am definitely a believer of that's just because we're so used to the draft as is again as much as i love the draft i think that opening it up to free agency would be better for everyone
0: i feel like the draft is more of an organized chaos whereas if you were to open it up to straight up free agency you would have straight up chaos but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm ever going to find out because I don't see this change happening, but no. it's definitely interesting to think about.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted.
0: Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott, and very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Is it crazy to expect Sam to play at the level that he did during the Buffalo-Houston Green Bay stretch last year when you consider McGuire was his running back and only Robbie and Herndon were healthy? Bell alone could have changed the outcome of those games, plus Crowder's addition should help a lot, too. I don't think it's crazy at all. Now, he's not going to play like that every single week. Nobody does. But I think there's a good possibility that you see a lot more of that. Than you did last year I think you could see maybe 8-10 to games of that With a couple of other games being good but not great Maybe a bad game sprinkled in here and there But I do think that you're going to see a lot more of those type of games In 2019 than you did in 2018 And if you do, and if we're right about Sam Darnold This Jets team is going to be in the discussion in December
1: Yeah, it's definitely not crazy It'd be crazy not to think that there's, he's going to be closer to that level for more games this year than he was last year. Like you said, he's going to have, you know, his down games. It's not going to be like that every week, but I think you're going to get more games at near that level than we got last year. And he's going to have his bad moments, but for the most part, I think you're going to keep seeing uh, him grow and turn into a better, he's such a cerebral smart quarterback. That I just don't see it, him not being able to play, you know, at least half, if not more than half the game near that level this year. And a lot of it's going to depend on the health of people around him and then all sorts of line in front of him. But again, I've talked about this before with his ability to move in the pocket, get out of the pocket. He can uh, mask some of the deficiencies that they have up front, too. So it's definitely not crazy. I expect him to have. More, more games at that level than, uh, than he had last year and less games you know, at the bottom level where he looked a little lost and clueless. I, I don't think you're going to see very many of those. Maybe one or two games where you're like, what was that, Sam? I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of that next, this year.
0: Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, gentlemen, with Herndon out this long, who do you think benefits with more extended playing time with Gase's offense? I hope it's Burnett because Quincy can shift to the H-back. Wesco clearly because he's going to be the one that you would think would be in line over Tomlinson, or is there someone else I'm not thinking of? So I think that Wesco will probably benefit quite a bit from this because Adam Gase doesn't love to use the tight end anyway and he was going to use Wesco predominantly as a blocker. I think he'll use him a little bit more where he would have used Herndon. But I also think that some of the touches that Herndon would have gotten are going to be spread out to guys like Quincy Inunua and Jamison Crowder, even Le'Veon Bell a little bit. So I think that the benefits will be spread around to everybody. Wesco will probably get a little more playing time the first few weeks. Maybe they go out and get another tight end for depth's sake, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit because we did get a question about that. But I think that in general, the rest of the offense will pick up the slack. So a little bit for everybody.
1: And it's kind of a shame Neil, Neil Sterling is not on the roster right now because I'd, <laughs> I'd go with him if he was still here. Um, the thing with Wesco and Rookie tight ends have a hard time in the NFL. The ro- rookie tight ends do not come in and contribute right away. It is rare, and even even a season like Herndon had last year is rare. Um, and uh, Westco, he he was raw. I just I just don't see him being able to really contribute too much in those first four uh, games. I think he'll get, he will benefit because he will get more opportunities. Cause I think it would just, if Herndon wasn't suspended, it would just be Herndon with Tomlinson getting that second backup role. Wesco's going to get more snaps now, but I don't see too much there. And uh, I'd, I'd pump the brakes with, uh, you know, the Quincy and Unwant to, uh, to an H-back type of role. I don't see that happening. That's not something he's interested in. I don't, really see gase using that too much i i'm gonna agree with you i just think they're gonna have to There's not gonna be one person who's gonna benefit from this it's just they're gonna have to spread it around more like james and crowd is gonna benefit from it at times quincy and robbie will benefit from a little bit at times and then of course Le'Veon bell too so they're gonna have to find ways to use those guys as a you know, a security blanket. You, know, you always hear the a tight end's a quarterback's best friend. Well, you're going to have to make that Jamison Crowder and Le'Veon Bell for a lot of stuff like that. So I don't think there's going to be any one person that really benefits from it. Uh, Wesco, a little bit because he will get more snaps and more reps. But again, rookie, rookie tight ends have a hard time coming in and contributing.
0: Next question kind of ties in. It's from Michael Palace. He says, should the Jets consider signing ASJ or Jermaine Gresham as a placeholder for Herndon, or should they just use a Nunwa? Also, is it possible we are underselling the ability of Wesco? His 26 catches were the most by West Virginia tight end under Dana Holgerson. So the first part of this, apparently ASJ's got some problems, so I don't expect him to be coming in here. Jermaine Gresham, I don't know really what's going on with him either, but I think that... They'll probably take a look at some guys for depth. They'll probably just end up giving a lot of the snaps that they would have given to Herndon to Wesco, but I think they'll use Wesco in a different way. Like you were saying, Chris, and as I said, I think he benefits in the sense that he'll see more snaps, but I don't think that he's going to get a ton of targets. I think what's most likely to happen is that Wesco is going to get a lot of snaps at tight end, but the ball will just get spread around a lot. As far as underselling Wesco... I know that Baldinger had the breakdown and showed some strong receiving skills for Wesco in the limited chances that he got, but I don't think that the Jets drafted him for that purpose. They may get him some sneaky opportunities to get receptions, but I see him more along the lines of what they seem to have seen him as when they drafted him, which is a blocking tight end who will get the occasional reception.
1: Yeah, Uh I'm i going to say no to ASJ. You know, hope he gets whatever's going on with him. Hope he gets the help he needs. But there's clearly something going on there. Uh, I'd probably take a pass on Gresham too. I, I we're going to go back to this uh, answers. I seem to give this answer a lot during this time of year. But training camp cuts, the final roster cuts are made. They can probably find somebody to to come in and you know as a giving tight end for the first four weeks. Uh, with Wesco, again, rookie tight end, uh, I'm not even talking about projecting his career right now, but for the first four weeks, nah, I, I I can't be underselling Wesco right now. For the first four weeks, the history of rookie tight ends, how raw Wesco is as a receiver because they don't use tight ends is a receiving option in West Virginia. So to just expect him to just come in for the first four games of the season and be able to actually like hold it down for Herndon, that that seems crazy to me. That's that's not an undersell. Uh, Him developing the rest of his career into, fine, that's obviously a possibility. But those first four games, they're going to need somebody else to rely on. And I think that... After after the teams start making their training camp cuts, they will see them pick somebody else up.
0: I'm sure they'll pick somebody else up if for nothing else depth purposes. But I think what a lot of people are forgetting is that Adam Gase doesn't really make a lot of use of the tight end in his offense anyway. So I don't think that it's yeah. going to be a huge priority. And like I said, if Wesco ends up getting the majority of Herndon snaps – and it is mostly in there as a blocker. I wouldn't be entirely surprised.
3: Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael also has this question. He says, many people are worried about building around Sam Darnold I'm not saying I wouldn't, but please handicap for me the chances of the players fighting for and getting an end to the salary cap, essentially meaning we don't have to worry about this as much. In other words, they won't have to win in his rookie contract due to a limit restriction on his second deal. There's no way they're getting rid of the salary cap. They might be able to get the salary cap raised so it's not as big of a worry. But I can't see the owners ever being willing to just get rid of the salary cap. There's a reason it was put in there in the first place. I think a lot of it was because of the fact that they wanted to be saved from themselves. We've seen what's happened in baseball a lot of times with the unlimited salaries. You see contracts like Bryce Harper and then Five or six years into the deal, people are like, what the heck happened here? 13-year contract? So I don't see that ever happening. Like I said, I think best-case scenario along the lines of what you're saying, Michael, is that they raise the cap significantly. And then maybe being able to pay the quarterback while simultaneously maintaining a strong roster isn't as hard to do as it is now. But I can't see any way that they outright eliminate the salary cap.
1: Yeah, they will never get rid of the salary cap, and the biggest reason of that is, like you just said, it's to protect them from themselves. Uh, they they don't mind, uh, they certainly don't mind that there's a limit on what they can play the players, they're, they're not really you know, when, when you talk about it in the abstract, they, they certainly don't mind that. They're not going to be sitting here saying, hey, we need to figure out a way to get these players more money. They don't care, they don't mind that. But that Salary cap is in place to stop them from impulsively spending a lot of money recklessly on somebody. It's that simple. The salary cap will continue to go up every year because that's what it does. As long as uh, the revenue keeps going up, the NFL keeps making more and more money every year, the salary cap will go up. When they go into the new CBA, maybe the players will be able to adjust. Uh, you know, negotiate for a slightly higher percentage Of the revenue split, so that they will be able to up the salary cap that way. But it's not going to be that. I don't. I can't see them winning that much of a percentage of it to really make a huge difference, where you'd really feel and notice it. But they're gonna. You know, you get a quarterback, and you know, assuming that we're not talking about an Andy Dalton level that's a Stafford level, where you're paying these guys who are good but not great paying them money to be great. It's just the smart teams have to learn to stay away from those type of contracts and only give it to the ones who do, and then they have to learn how to build out the rest of the roster here from here on out there. It's that simple, and they'll, they'll figure out ways to do it, And but you still need that quarterback. So if Sam develops into what we expect him to be, then we're going to be more than willing to pay him whatever it's going to cost. But, again, yeah, that salary cap is never going away. They don't want to pay players more money, and they definitely need to stop and prevent themselves from just being reckless and impulsive.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Michael Parsons. He says, Should we expect the Jets to make a ton of moves on the offensive line next offseason? If so, who should we keep an eye on, both in free agency and the draft? Do you expect us to draft an offensive lineman in the first round next year? So we've kind of touched on this before. We'll elaborate a little bit. I think we both agreed that assuming he hits free agency, and we both think he will, the Jets should go hard after Lael Collins from the Dallas Cowboys. Also, we both agreed that the Jets are going to go after many offensive linemen next year and try to completely rebuild both in free agency and the draft. As far as top draft prospects at tackle or guard, I haven't taken a really long look, But I have heard the names Trey Smith from Tennessee, Walker Little from Stanford, and Trey Adams from Washington haven't had a chance to really look at their tape, but those are a couple of names that you may want to look at going into the season. Now, bear in mind that a lot of times the guys that are on these lists as guys to watch at the beginning of the year fall off and other guys rise up as the year goes on, but as of now, those are a couple of names for you to keep an eye on. So yes, I think the Jets are going to go hard after a lot. Lot of different offensive linemen, both in the draft and in free agency. Yes, I think that they're going to most likely use their first-round pick on an offensive lineman. And I just named for you a couple of guys to watch at the offensive line position. In addition to Lyle Collins, who I expect them to target in free agency.
1: Yeah, I'm going to pretty much give a similar answer to you here. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not sure too much. I know, uh, like we talked about, Lyle Collins will be a free agent. I don't know. Who else to really expect there? But again, as I've said multiple times this offseason, free agency is not where you want to be uh, building your offensive line. It's fine if a Lyle Collins slips through the crack, go after him, absolutely. But you're, more often than not, in free agency, you're going to be overpaying for somebody who's good, not great, and you want great offensive line in there. Uh, it's way too early in the process for me to know uh, the names of offensive linemen for the draft. But uh, I will, to add to the names you said, I'll just simply say, you know, look at Alabama, look at Oklahoma, look at Wisconsin, look at those teams, uh, and you'll find out where there's going to be some offensive linemen coming from. Uh, as far as them targeting offensive line in the draft, absolutely. If, if you ask me to pick what's the most likely pick or uh, position that they take in the first round, um, without a doubt, no hesitation, I'm going to say offensive line. Now we'll have to wait and see, obviously, where they're picking and how the board falls in front of them. Again, uh, I think I mentioned this last week. If, if Jerry Judy is there uh, allowing us to make our Doug Judy references, <laughs> then I could absolutely see uh, that being the pick. But... Uh, if they don't take an offensive lineman with the first round pick, then I would probably say that they would take one with the second round pick. And I, I would expect Joe Douglas to probably come out of next year's draft with two or three offensive linemen. He His focus is going to be building this offensive line and doing the bulk of that through the draft.
0: Final question of this weekend's mailbag comes in from Clifton Hopkins. He says, it seems like a lot of Jets fans have high expectations for Sam Darnold this upcoming season. What if our expectations aren't met and Sam struggles in year number two, who gets the blame and would Adam Gase potentially lose his job because of it? So as far as who gets the blame, it really depends on what happens. It could be blame gets spread around to Gase and to Darnold. Maybe the blame ends up on the medical staff if he ends up sustaining an injury and they mess that up in some way. It's really impossible to tell without knowing how this scenario plays out. Could Adam Gase get fired if Darnold doesn't progress? I think it's possible. I'd say it's fairly unlikely, but if the Jets were to go four and twelve and Darnold really took a step back, I think in a scenario like that, it could happen, only because remember, Gase was brought in here as the so-called quarterback whisperer, Darnold was the big selling point, so if he's not getting something out of Darnold, and perhaps if he's rubbing people the wrong way in the process, then maybe he gets shown the door, but I would say that the only way that Gase gets fired is if things go catastrophically wrong, particularly as it pertains to Sam Darnold.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said, that there's there's no way for us to sit here and say who we would blame for something before seeing how it plays out because I, I can't predict that. But after saying that, it, it Adam Gase has to be the one to blame because he's the so-called quarterback whisperer. He's he was hired to to work with Sam Darnold and bring Sam Darnold along and build on what we, he did at the end of last year. That's why he was hired. So even if it's not his fault, even if it's something that happens beyond his control, he's got to shoulder some of the blame for that there. Uh, one thing I will say is, you know, just fans probably don't want to hear this part, is we have seen this before. And I'm not even just talking about the Jets, but the most obvious example you can look at is somebody like Geno Smith had a real strong finish to the rookie season, and then you okay, here we go. There's something to point to, and it doesn't always carry over. We sit there and say, okay, well he he struggled some. He had a strong uh, finish to the season. He should be able to just pick up where he went on uh, left off and just keep improving. It doesn't always work that that way. And there's lots of a variety of reasons for that, but it doesn't always work that way. So while I do feel like Sam will be able to keep a building on that and what we saw at the end of the season is going to be more like what we saw there. I look at that and I say that because of the way that he wants, because of the traits that were in place and the, what he did, I see that ability in him and uh, how it should be able to go uh, forward But it's a projection and we can't, projections don't always live up to what we think. That's what makes sports, sports and and impossible to predict. So yes, it's possible we are all overselling this, overrating it a little bit, and he might struggle a little bit more than we expect. But if he does, then it's gotta, the blame's gotta fall on Casey's, the quarterback wrestler who was hired specifically to bring the best out of Sam.
0: While it's important to remember that Sam Darnold has this optimism around him, not only because he finished the season strong, but also because he has, as Liam Neeson might say, a particular set of skills that Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez never possessed. As you said, Chris, nothing is guaranteed. So it's okay to have high expectations, but also you have to keep in the back of your mind that nothing's for sure in this world. So fingers crossed that once the season starts, in September, Sam Darnold is doing great. And I also hope that he does great, not only in the preseason, but in training camp. And Chris, next weekend when we do this mailbag, it'll be the final chance for people to ask us questions before training camp gets started. I know everybody's eager for that. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. You're going to have plenty of coverage over at JetsInsider.com. I'm going to have plenty of coverage over here at Play like a jet. The two of us are going to team up for daily training camp reports. I'm really excited about that. So as we wait for training camp to get going, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on at this very moment over at JetsInsider.com.
1: Yeah, you know, I know everyone's super excited. Training camp's almost here. But, you know, some, some of us are enjoying this vacation and aren't as excited <laughs> for training camp to start. So uh, you know, be be a little patient with me here, guys. And some some of us like this vacation life during the summer, um, but yeah. So we got we're doing some training camp battles, uh, position battles. So we'll have a lot more of that in these next coming days. We got a story. Alan's got a story up there on uh, on Walt Michaels and on the uh, uh, coming. He's got uh, something up on the Chris Herc suspension too. So. We'll have a bunch of stuff there, but mostly we're going to be focusing on looking at you know the positional battles. I did one on quarterback situation, which was kind of you know obviously there's there's for the first time since Sanchez there's there's no question about who the starting quarterback is. It's going to be Sam Darnold, but there is a question about who's going to be the backup, who would be win third string if the Jets even keep third uh three quarterbacks. So there's some, uh, you know, battles like that. And that's going to be a lot of positions. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell will be the guy at running back. But there's Elijah McGuire, Trenton Cannon make this roster. If one of them makes it, who makes it? So that's the type of stuff that we're going to go through. Same thing with wide receiver. We know who the top three guys there are. And then we can think that we know Deontay Burnett may be the fourth guy there. But what are they going to do there? They're going to need to fill out the other ones, So that's where we're going up until training camp from now, which is uh, a bunch of stuff looking at the each position and breaking down there, so you can find that at JetsInsider.com, dot com and you can follow me on twitter, instagram at Lee and at JetsInsider.
0: go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter, read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com, dot com along with Alan Schechter, his deputy editor. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.